Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome everybody to Nightlight. So glad you could share your time with us today. I know time is precious to all of us, and when you share it with us, you really do us a great honor. If you are listening to the show in archive on YouTube, please make sure that you uh, give us a um, subscription so we know that you're listening. Uh, By subscribing to to Nightlight, you don't um, obligate yourself to anything other than some many hours of Entertaining and enlightening information doesn't cost you anything, but it does let us know you're listening. I want to also thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. Uh, as always, I endorse his tradition and his history and, and his method of preserving history. He and his wife are both Native storytellers. You can find them on the Internet. Just either Google Native Storytellers or Ken Quiethawk. You'll find their material and their CDs, and their history, and it's amazing. So please do check it out. We have to hold on to our history because it becomes the foundation for which we build our future. I am really excited today that I have an amazing guest. Um, I have Jacqueline Lane with me, and she has written a book called Deva, Our Relationship with the Subtle World, and it is it sounds like it, it might be a light, a light reading book, but I have to tell you it is a profound book. It's amazing. It, it takes you into new depths of understanding of devas, and um, it isn't just little fairies flitting through your garden. It's almost, a, an, well, it is an, an amazing perception of creation itself, and I highly, highly recommend it. Jacqueline is a much-traveled New Zealand artist, author, and educator. She has a degree in the social sciences and has been involved in a wide range of metaphysical studies for nearly 50 years. She's the author and illustrator of an echo novel, The Children of Gaia, illustrator of Once in a Blue Moon, and scribe of This World of Echoes, A Divine Guide to Being Human. And, of course, her latest book, Deva, um, is a um, 
just published, let's see, by Sendhorn Press, and it was just released in June. And it is, again, an amazing read. It takes you into a greater understanding of creation and humanity and the spirits and the energetics that are all around us all the time. I would say that that a lot of you have used the term but not really understood exactly how deeply it means and it affects us. So um, I'm, I'm so glad she's with us today to share her wisdom and her knowledge and to enlighten all of us yet again in another way. Welcome to the show, Jacqueline. Thank you, Barbara, and thank you for the opportunity and the privilege of speaking with you and your many listeners. It's uh, really great. Thank you so much, and it's wonderful that we can be on opposite sides of the world and still um, <laughs> communicate at the same time. It's great. Literally. You're in tomorrow already, so we know the world doesn't end today. I am. <laughs> yes, I'm 19 hours ahead of you. <laughs> New Zealand is the first country in the world where the sun comes up. Oh, how amazing. That is so cool. It's, you know, I I know where it is, but but, um, realizing just how far we are apart, it amazes me that that we figured out the time change, for one thing. But um, (laughs) it... (laughs) From from all you've said and from what I've garnered, just you know, just slightly uh, as to history and and the topogra- topography of New Zealand, it it sounds like a beautiful, magical place. Yes, it is. It is, and that's why um, tourism has become probably our biggest earner. Of course, at the moment, uh, we don't have tourists. <laughs> because our borders are closed, but let's hope that um, we can get over that situation in the very near future. I, I'm sure you can. So so um, you've been in the metaphysical field for half a century. And, and Just pretty much. Mm. Yeah. And, and so my curiosity is kind of piqued. What, led you in the direction of understanding the Davis and, and, and working with them? Well, um, it's actually, that's a really interesting story, and it's not in the book um, particularly. So as a, as a child, I was, I was always looking for them in the grass. We lived, my parents lived next door to a playing field, and um, and that was, you know, that was a, a pleasure on its own. So I used to lie in the grass when the before the, before it was cut, and it was a great way to just feel the earth. Um, and the the city where I lived was uh, had a lot of it was the capital city of New Zealand, Wellington, and there were a lot of green what we call green belt. So there were lots of green spaces, and we lived right next to one of those. So, um, and then when I was five, my parents moved to Western Samoa with my brother and me, and um, and there I got to experience what what it was like in a sort of more jungle, tropical kind of atmosphere, and had plenty of opportunity to 
you know, increase my awareness of, of nature. Um, and as far as the nature spirits and that whole kingdom is concerned, there were several, several seeds, I suppose. Um, in the 1970s, late 70s, I came across a book. I saw it in a bookshop window about 200 miles from where we lived because I was, we were visiting my in-laws. And it was called The Magic of Finthorn. And its cover, it's a famous book in that field now, but its cover had these beautiful paintings of some, mush, uh, some toadstools. And I thought, when I bought it, I thought I was buying fiction. And I, as I got into this book, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is actually a real story. You know, it's, it's not fiction. It's actually what's happened. So that introduced me to the Fintorn community. And, um, and it intrigued me. The whole thing intrigued me that this woman called, um, oh, gosh, my brain's gone numb, um, uh, the lady at Sindhorn who just died recently, she had communication with that that whole um, kingdom of nature spirits, etc. And um, so, what happened next? Um, well, that sort of sat there in the background, and I started buying buying some of the Sindhorn Press books because they've produced a lot of books over the years. So I began to learn a lot more about it, but it was it was more just kind of like, oh, this is intriguing. It, it didn't really occur to me that I could really make contact with them myself in the way that that they had over there. So the next thing that happened was that um, in the beginning of my art journey, um, I was I was beginning to be accepted into galleries and. My work was being shown at the New Zealand Academy of Fine Arts. And I thought, well, look, time I figured out how I was going, I'm going to sort of promote it. And I took myself off to Auckland with a portfolio. Auckland's our biggest city. It's about 400 miles from where we were living at the time. And I went up there and I went, did the round of galleries, etc. And one of the, one of the galleries, uh, said that they would like to uh, give me an exhibition opportunity in about sort of six or seven months' time. And would I go home and please um, give them a list of the paintings I thought I would do, etc. So I came home, and at the same time I was thinking, well, you know, maybe I'd like to, to put my art into cards and things like that. And, and one person I'd met up in Auckland who was a publisher said that he wanted me to do a fantasy art book of a journey around New Zealand. And that kind of didn't, didn't really resonate with me. So I came home and I did what the, what the gallery wanted and I set a program for them and I sent it back. And then nothing happened. I didn't hear from them. And looking back, I think, well, you know, why didn't I just ring them up? But I didn't. I just waited and waited and didn't hear from them. And, and it sort of energetically, everything kind of went quiet. So I went to see a friend of mine who was a professional tarot reader. And her name was Karen. And spelt the Scottish way, C-A-R-R-O-N. And she, um, so she did a session with me. And at one point, I was 
burbling on to her about maybe doing cards and uh, prints and things like that. And her eyes glazed over and she just literally went into a trance. And I sat there wondering what was happening. And when she came out of it, she was shaking her head and she said, there was a really loud voice and there had been a really loud voice in her head saying, tell Jacqueline it's not cards, it's a book. So I thought, oh. And I thought about this idea that the publisher in Auckland had told me about. But that doesn't feel right. So for a couple of weeks, it sort of just sat there and I didn't know what it really meant. And then I got a phone call from an elderly man that I'd done a few art workshops with. And he had been a marine biologist. And he rang me and asked if I would come and look at some paints that he had for sale. So off I went and um, to visit him and we sat down. I looked through his latest paintings and admired a new gallery he had set up in his garage. And um, and then this thing kept pressing on my mind, this message of Karen. So I'm sitting in the chair and I'm talking with him and I thought my thoughts are going on and I'm thinking, I can't ask him about about what a tarot reader said. He's a scientist. And then I remember that he'd mentioned in the workshop that he um, believed in spirit guides. So I sort of thought, okay, I'm going to go for it. So I told him the story and what Karen had said to me. And he didn't laugh and he didn't ridicule, but he started to, he, he was obviously thinking. And then he said to me, you know, he said, I think we're going, and bear in mind that this is, by this time, we're in the early early 80s, early 1980s. And um, he said, I think that we will solve the nuclear issue, but we have a lot of problems looming on the ecology front. Why don't you do something to do with the Deva kingdom and ecology? Right? And mm. it was like my crown chakra just, absolutely stretched open and I it was filled with light I couldn't see a thing because of the light I have no idea how I drove home that day um, because for three days I couldn't see anything except this light and in the light were these figures um, and they were like tumbling down through the light into my head and they were figures of elves and but not as we represent them. They were more shapes and energy forms. And that's how it started. So they came to me <laughs> rather than the <laughs> other way around. <laughs> but the interesting thing about that is that I think that it demonstrates how when we are prepared to um, listen to the seeds that are sown, and when we sow seeds ourselves, that if we are true to that path, then sooner or later, the path is revealed to us. And there's a sense in which I know the wise say that, well, we are the path ourselves. The path is not separate from us. We are the path. So that's how that started. It, it it makes such great sense, and I think um, 
I did not realize that that the the term deva what that means, which I think is fascinating as well. Yeah, well, let's talk about that for a minute because it's really important. Yeah. So, um, one of the one of the main reasons that, or perhaps the main reason I wrote this book, is that it seemed to me that there was a lot of disconnect between um, different areas of of this whole subject matter. So, you know, people talk about um, nature spirits and fairies and the kinds of things that we're used to referring to in that, in, in that sort of folklore tradition. But um, there was, it was kind of disconnected from everything else. And one of the things that always appealed to me and intrigued me, um, even when I was at university, was this idea of synthesis. So that when you when I when I studied my my degree, you know I, I was studying education, anthropology, philosophy, sociology, religious studies, and to me, all I was doing was just putting on a different pair of glasses to look at the same subject. So, and that and that is the way I sort of like to look at the subjects that I'm that I'm writing about or or studying. There's so many different ways of looking at things, and unfortunately, what we've tended to do, particularly through the Piscean era, which was an era where happened to coincide with what the um, Ageless Wisdom teaching called the Sixth Ray, um, it meant that things got sort of divided into different sects and religions, and um, everything got split into separate pieces. And now that we're moving into the Aquarian age, we actually have to um, start bringing things together again. And I think that, you know, I think that in the past, if we go back to that pre-Piscean age, I think there was probably a lot more coherence in the way people felt and uh, about the world. That I mean, I might be dreaming there, but that's that's my sense. So um, so now, uh, what happened in the in the early part of the the 20th century is that we had people coming into the West from the Eastern traditions. So you had people like um, Helene Helen Blavatsky, the Russian, and she brought in. Um, uh, a huge book, which I've never read, to be honest, um, but apparently it's extremely esoteric and it's called The Secret Doctrine. So she brought in teachings from, from the East, and then she was followed by a woman called Helena Rorick, who brought in the Agni Yoga book. Um, and then the third woman, and it's interesting that these came from women, right? And then the third yeah. woman was Alice Bailey, um, and so the Theosophical Society came out of Helen Blavatsky's teaching. And so you got these three women who were all um, creating, if you like, this new view of the world for the West. And then, of course, we got the gurus coming in from India and so on and so forth. 
But in that tradition of Blavatsky and Rorick and um, Alice Bailey, we got to see that um, the Eastern teaching talk about this thing called deva, which literally means being of light. And so it covers it covers the whole nature spirit fairy thing, but it goes on up to what's called the angelic kingdom. So it's quite interesting because when so when so when we talk about Deva, we are not just talking about nature spirits and fairies. We're talking about the overlighting intelligence that sort of um, the closest word I can come up with at the moment is kind of supervises them, but it's not like that really. The higher deva and the higher that, that we refer to as the angelic kingdom, um, they contain, if you like, they contain the lesser deva, they contain the fairies and the nature spirits, and then, but the fairies and the nature spirits, they're just they're actually about halfway up the hierarchy. Now, a lot of people get rather twitchy about that word hierarchy, but David is a hierarchy. And, you know, we've got this whole thing about equality and people don't like the idea of hierarchy. But if, we're, if we look, look at the world carefully, we realise that actually everything is a hierarchy. And from the atoms, right or below the atoms, right, to quantum particles, up to atoms, and then to molecules, and then to um, cells and organs, organisms, and so on. That's the kind of hierarchy we're talking about. So so below the nature spirit, there's also Deva. And why it's a good idea not to investigate those for us, because we have to then also look at another aspect of Deva, which is that at some point everything has come into manifestation. It's come down into density from spirit, right? Uh-huh. And then it gets to a certain point of like ground zero, if you like, and then it evolves. So it comes in from the top, it's from spirit. And into density, down into matter, and then it starts evolving out of matter and back to spirit. But the point is, so why would why would we want why would that happen? Well, it happens because when it goes back up again, when it evolves back up, it's evolving with experience. So it's like it's like God saying, "I'm going to figure out um, what my potential is." You know what can what can I uh, what can I experiment with, and so to experiment, um, spirit comes into matter, into the densest form it can, and then by evolving back towards spirit again, it's exploring all the possibility that can come of that. Does that does that sort of make a little bit of sense to you? It, it does, and I think what <clears throat> when when I was reading it, I saw in my head a spiral, not so much a circle, but as as you start at the very bottom and then you move and evolve upwards, 
to, you know, gathering wisdom, gathering insight, gathering whatever, and then reaching an apex and then coming back down, taking all that wisdom and knowledge with you as you go back down. And once you are back into spirit again, you start to tr- you start to trip all over again. But you've already got you've collected wisdom and knowledge and all sorts of stuff on that trip, so that you start your next journey another level up. So you're constantly spiraling yeah. up with with yeah. the, with the wisdom and knowledge. Yeah. Um, and then on the way we we incur karma because we haven't quite got the hang of it. <laughs> <laughs> so we get oh, yeah. well, we get, we get I think yeah. what you've done with, with with your the hierarchy, I love the hierarchy. I just i I'm fascinated with the hierarchy and um I just I kept looking at it all and, and trying to and and I would I would read some and then I would go out in the garden and I would sit there and I would say now let's let's make sense of this and I and I kept hearing laughter as though you know you really think you're going to figure it all out now. <laughs> but, but, oh yeah, they laugh they laugh at us a lot. And I've just remembered um, the name of the lady at Spindhorn. Her name was Dorothy McLean. Uh-huh. The lady at Spindhorn who. Um, the lady at Sundhorn who um, was the communicator with the Deva Kingdom. Fintor, the Sundhorn community, for those who are not familiar with it, is still going today. In fact, um, I had the privilege of, of meeting and spending time with um, Michael Lindfield, who was the head gardener at Sundhorn, um, you know, in the early days. And he was the head gardener there for 14 years. Um, and I got an email from him uh, a few months ago telling me that Dorothy McLean, who had brought all this wonderful information through, um, she just passed away. She was over 100, I believe. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, their contribution to this entire field is immeasurable. And um, so I, you know, highly recommend any of their, um, any of their publications. Um, they're just wonderful. Oh, so, absolutely! Um, and yeah. and the and the gardens there for anybody. I mean, they they do work with with all of these spirits, and what they produce is is absolutely astoundingly magical. And um, please research it, Google it, research it, look into it because you know magic happens in so many different wonderful ways and places that that. Um, you should you should be aware of it when it is right there smack in your face. Um, yeah. I think one of one of the other fascinating things um, when you were describing Davis of all levels, and I, I loved it that you you literally took it down to a single cell and brought it forward from a single cell, and um, it, it, and and you know correct me if I'm wrong, but, but basically. It's David is a level of consciousness, and and so well, yeah, it's I'm, I'm not yeah, it's more conscious. Um, it's more the intelligence that reside that is infused into matter, right? Oh. So in right, so matter um, 
Um, we're using matter in a very broad sense here, right? We think of matter as solid matter, right? We think of it as as solidity and then um, um, liquid and then gas. Um, but beyond that, you've got etheric matter and then you've got astral matter, which is where our um, emotions and desires come from. And then so and then we've got mental matter and above that there's um, the soul level and beyond that there's buddhic matter and so on. And and it's getting finer and finer and finer the higher up we go. So um, that the ageless wisdom teaching is that um, the, one of the first things that that the earth itself has incarnated as a being. The earth is a being, right? You know, we're, uh-huh. we've got the, enough arrogance to think that, you know, it's just an object and we happen to be on it, okay? But um, <laughs> the, the wisdom teachings are that the earth is a spiritual being um, just many, 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 many times bigger than we are and, uh, and far more complex. So, so Aegis Wisdom is saying that, you know, the earth has incarnated many times before and in those earlier incarnations, that the um, the purpose was to infuse the matter, all the matter of Earth in, in its all different levels, with intelligence. Because when you think about it, matter on its own, if it doesn't have intelligence, nothing can happen, right? So if you invent an atom and the atom is just a, a you know a, just a bit of something. And it doesn't have any intelligence to to do or to be what it is, then it can't interact with something else that's also got intelligence, right? So everything has to have a degree of intelligence, even if it's so minute that we can't barely see it. Uh, Well, we can't. We, I mean, we can't see atoms yet, can we? Or we can't see particles. We can only that they're there from experiments that scientists, scientists do. So once, once matter is infused with intelligence, then the next possibility to add is actually to create things. So the intelligence within matter, or let's call it substance, because substance can include matter in the sense that we normally think of matter, but if we think of substance rather than matter, then we can also think of substance as being our feelings, um, our thoughts, our emotions, etc. So that's substance as well. And what we're doing as we evolve um, is use is learning to use different kinds of substance. So actually, the core thing is that our relationship with life is about how we are learning to use matter at all these different levels of density. Because you've got the most dense part is the solid physical part is liquid. The next dense part is is gas. And then above that, we've got the etheric levels, which are, are lighter still that contain the blueprints for the physical. And then above that, we've got the astral level I mentioned before, and that's where we have our dreams, we have our feelings, we have our 
um, our desires. And so we're, as a, as a kingdom, we're learning about that. So if we go back and look at our, our incarnational history, you know, people talk about um, things like Lemuria and then Atlantis, etc. Well, if we think of those as epochs rather than as, as pieces of land, um, the, wise, the wise talk about the Lemurian epoch. So that's the hundreds of thousands of years or possibly millions of years in which we were evolving to learn to use a physical body, to learn how to breathe it, how to, how to, how to, how to actually work it until it became automatic to us. And the next stage, which was the Atlantean epoch, doesn't matter what you call it, but that's what the books tend to call it, is the Atlantean epoch, was when we learned to have to use even more subtle matter, which is um, our astral matter, and learning how to have an emotional body. And that emotional body is also called a desire body. And we actually are still, the majority of human beings are, you know, are still very much in that phase of the emotional body and the desire body. And that's partly why we've got so many problems in that direction, because we want stuff. We want it all the time. We're learning to use this emotional body, which is full of desire. Um, but at the same time, we're also learning to develop a mental body. And, you know, we're all at different stages of these levels of, of learning how to use matter. And in that matter, at every level, there's a different kind of deva, a different kind of devic quality of energy. So, so, that, so it's, more, it's way, way more than just the fairies and so on of nature. It's also about the intelligence that we are using because of the substance we're using all the time to be human beings. And if it wasn't for the Deva kingdom as a whole, we wouldn't have any experience of being human. <laughs> so we've got, we've got ourselves, which is our, our being, our will, but we are using the Deva kingdom to experience that. Does that kind of make any sense? It, it does. It, it actually does. You know, you, you, um, we, we've heard of the Devas and we've always relegated them to an area of nature, but, yeah. but they, they are so much more than just nature because, well, of course we're a part of nature, but, but even objects like houses and airplanes have David, yeah. David, energies that are that are working with them and for them um so absolutely and especially, so, so especially you find that don't you in old houses i mean america's got you know much older houses and or buildings than we do um yeah. it's quite funny my husband was giving a talk to the rotary club in egypt where he we lived in egypt for quite a while and he belonged to one of the rotary clubs there and he was giving them a talk, and he he stated that the um, 
somebody said, why were, asked them, why were, why were we so fascinated with the old buildings of Egypt, right? And um, he said, well, you've got to remember that in New Zealand, the oldest stone building is 150 years old. And um, there was sort of silence for a while, and, and somebody said, I think you've made a mistake. And he said, no, I haven't. Because New Zealand's a very young country, and America is a relatively young country. So, you know, we haven't had, um, we haven't had buildings, certainly not, and we don't have stone buildings here. Not a good idea if you've got lots of earthquakes anyway. But, you know, I've found that as I've, as I've travelled and spent lots of time in the United Kingdom, um, you know, you get these wonderful old buildings that are, you know, centuries old, and they've got so much in the way of, um, in the way of David intelligence and the imprint of, of the people that have lived there. As you know, you know, buildings absorb um, the energy that we're, that we're putting into them, and it's really fascinating. And um, uh, what's her name? Mari Kondo, the Japanese tidying expert, she's got a, a lovely thing in her book about when she um, when she leaves her house that she says goodbye to it, and when she comes home, she says hello to it, and she and she thanks it for what it's doing for her. And um, so, and of course, the Japanese they recognise. Um, they recognise the spirits of trees and plants and so on, which is why they're so reluctant to cut down their own forest, by the way. And um, so they, um, yeah, so that's part of their Shinto religion is this recognition of the spirit in, in matter. So, yeah, I mean, this is not a new thing. This, is, this has been going on for centuries and centuries in different ways. But I think... I think what has happened to us in the West, as we've as oh, we've yeah. come into this, as we've come into this sort of era of um, of wanting in this emotional body that is so desirous of things, we have um, unfortunately we've kind of dumped a lot of the older stuff. And in the Piscean era, of course, the the churches. Um, and, and this is the case with not just the Christian religions, um, but all religions. If, if you go to Mexico um, and you look at the temples there and Teotihuacan, just outside of Mexico City, you can actually go down underneath and see the original building there. And what the, what they used to do was to build the new new temple over top of the old one so and this happened in the in Europe as well that when you know the pagans they had their shrines you know they were worshiping nature and so on so um, and and very much connected to the land uh, and when when the Christian religion came along it knew very well that you know the way to can to capture people's um, religious affiliation, if you like, was to build over those shrines. So when you look on an ordinance map of the unit of the United Kingdom, um, I'm told that the the places like Stonehenge, uh, which is the, the sort of a hub of energy lines, 
and you spread out from there, you'll find that along these ley lines are a series of churches because the churches were built over top of these energy spots where the pagans um, worship their their own you know nature spirit gods if you like and um, so what we've done is that we've we've tried to obliterate the past to suit the new ideas whereas and that's also a modern thing because if you look at the cathedrals of, of Europe you will find the green man faces and you'll find all the um, you will find evidence, pagan things actually incorporated into the cathedrals. But modern man actually ignored those those influences in in the way we talk about religion. So I had an unfortunate well, I had an experience uh, a couple of years ago where I was preparing for a workshop. I happened to be in a church hall that I'd hired and. Um, while I was setting up, the minister came in with the electrician to do some work there, and I was just chatting away, tend to be a bit of a chat, chat, chatterbug, and um, I happened to mention the word magic, and oh my goodness, the minister got really offended and um, sort of expressed to me that, you know, magic was anti-religious. So I thought, oh dear, um, so I said to him, well, you know, you know, I think what God does is magical. And it's magical because we don't understand it. And that's what makes it magical. So he stopped um, he stopped protesting at that point and, and left somewhat quietly a little bit later. But he was obviously quite perturbed at my use of the word. And, oh, I know what it was. I've mentioned Harry Potter. And that's when he said that, you know, um, it, it was offensive to him, the whole idea of magic. So, yeah, you know, this, we get these all these divisions and, and all I'm trying to do here is to say, well, look, you know, we can look at these things more synthetically. And I think that this is a really important part of what we will be learning through the Aquarian age is to actually bring bring all these separated bits together so that we can understand things as a coherent whole and realize that what the American Indians are saying, what the Maori of New Zealand are saying, what the um, Inuit of um, the Northern Americas are saying, and, all, and, and, and what we are discovering too as Westerners, that it's all the same thing is just that we are talking about it differently and we're not seeing the connections between all these different schools of, and ways of, of, of describing things. Yeah, it is, a, it is mm-hmm. a pity because it adds such great richness to your life to have that kind of a, an understanding and, a, and a, an insight into the energies that surround us I know that that in your book you were talking about, you know, we look out at space and there's a void and we think it's empty, but it's full. And, and, and it, it, you know, that, that drove a lot home to me because of course, you know, if you, if you take us down to a molecular level or, or, or more, 
we aren't really a solid object. We're we're a collection of objects that have banded together for a similar purpose for a time frame. But but uh, you know, space is that that great expanse out there is full of similar objects that that can at any point in time form together to create a more material form or a more or a yeah. denser form, however you want to look at it. That's right. It's, um, there's a yeah. The book describes it as um, its potential. The space, uh-huh. the space contains the potential for manifestation. So, so we think it's empty, but it's actually not. It's 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 what will what can manifest, but we just can't see it because it's. It looks to us as if it's empty, but it's not empty. <laughs> yeah, it's a difficult oh, concept to to describe and and also to get your head around. It's the kind of concept that you really need to actually meditate on. A lot of the things I think that are in the book and that we um, need to understand need to be meditated on. But there's another book that I, I found really interesting on the subject of the sort of the the non-emptiness of space, and that's Irvin Laszlo's Science in the Akashic Field. Um, and it's published by Inner Traditions, who are actually now the publishers of Fintorn Press books. Um, and he describes the same kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, this is not certainly not a unique thing that I'm saying. I'm just, you know, adding adding to the discussion on, on, on that idea. And, well, and I, I found it fascinating. Yeah. It, it is. And I think what um, also um, fascinated me was how everything that is of, a, of to us, material form is not really. And it's, it's when it's you get not. down to like that, it, it, when you get down to like the house you live in, I think, I think, one of the things that, that impressed me because I'm getting ready to, to make a move and selling my house. And, and I've always talked to my house and thanked it for protecting me and sheltering me and, and seeing me through. Yeah. I've, I have always talked to my home. And mm-hmm. lately I've been talking to it about the fact that I need to move, that I can't really care for it as I want to, that I will find the best people I can. And, and you know, it's, it's very interesting and, and every time there was a showing, I talked to the house, and I've said, if this is the one you want, you know, you know, touch them and and help them to find a way to to get the house, and you know, not not looking for you know, pick the rich ones because they can afford more or anything like that. It's just when when you sense the magic, just let it happen. And it's funny yeah. because I've had a lot of people go through the house. A lot of people think it's a fabulous home, but but. You know, nobody has snapped. And just last week, a couple came through, and um, I thought they were lovely. But then everybody has actually been lovely that's come through. And it's it's very interesting because I was speaking to their agent, and I said, I'm looking for people who are special and unique and magical. And he said, well, maybe these people are. And I said, maybe they are. Um, we'll know soon enough, but, but I know that that the house will welcome the right people. And they made an offer. Yes. 
and oh, great. and it was and it was it was kind of like it wasn't my choosing and saying let this be the one let this be the one let this be the one it was like you know when my house welcomes them i know it will happen i know that it will occur and so it, and it appears that it is and and i i thank my garden and my home for making someone feel so at home that they want to be at home here. So Yeah, well, um, you've you created something quite special there. It's, it looks beautiful from the little bit that I've seen of it. It looks looks really lovely, and, and I'm sure you, you know, they will benefit from that lovely energy that you've put into it all the time. Well, it, you know, it, it was amazing because, you know, I would talk to the garden and I would talk to my home and I would say, pick the right people and just, make them welcome and we'll be fine and you know it's been a year and a half so I have definitely waited for for them to find the right person at least that's the way it feels right now (laughs) but but I think I did have another question for you that that plagued me slightly and it plagued me to the point that I almost answered it but I want to see what your answer is um okay Individual plants have their own deva, and then that particular species of plant or whatever um, has an overshadowing deva for that particular species. And, and I'm going to I'm going to narrow it down to a kind of tree. Um, so there's a tree in my yard that ha- that has its own personal deva, and that deva has an overshadowing or an overlightening of all the trees that are of that particular species or genesis. And then there mm-hmm. is another overshadowing of all trees. And yeah. what happens? Okay, so, so these are these are David David energies that, that you know, it's a hierarchy. So yeah. what happens when a species or a plant or animal goes extinct? Oh, that's a very interesting question. Um, well, if we think of it as an idea, right, that um, uh-huh. a species a species is a design or an idea, okay, just like, um, yeah, because the the higher the higher data are called the architects of form, okay. So if you like, they're designing the species. So they haven't they haven't disappeared. Um, they're still around somewhere. You know they're still they're still existent. But their manifestation, the actual physical tree, etc., or the yeah the tree um, or the plant, whatever it is, hasn't has lost its an opportunity to um, to manifest. Now, it's, what you've asked, I think, is a very interesting thing, and I need to research that a lot more because, you know, it hadn't occurred to me to kind of think about it. Um, but the I, in a, in a way, what we've got is a world of ideas or a universe of ideas, and those ideas manifest when the physical um, when the physical setup when the physical 
opportunity is available. And I think one of the things that we've learned with the coronavirus, you know, when when Italy went into lockdown, for instance, we know that because the cruise ships weren't visiting Venice anymore, um, the waters, which have been polluted and devoid of fish and so on for a long time, they cleared up and dolphins were being seen in the harbour, etc. So once the, the human activity stopped, nature was actually taking the opportunity to rebound. Now, when species die out altogether, um, it must depend on the circumstances because we know that seeds can often last for thousands of years. You know, that the, the ability to um, just close off. I mean, could be one of the ways that they age things and they can figure out when artifacts, um, how old they are, is from any bits of pollen and, and seeds and things that are that are attached or stuck inside them or something, right? So uh-huh. we know we know that the earth has powers of recuperation. But if we stretch the system too far, then uh, it won't be able to support us and it won't be able to support animals and plants and it will basically have to well we'll all just we just won't have the opportunity to be here. So, but the deva, the deva themselves, those higher deva that are the originators of that form, I think what we don't generally appreciate is that they are so high in consciousness and they're under, they're under higher deva still, right? Um, uh-huh. So they're not disappearing. They're kind of getting they're getting absorbed back into their originating source. Just like we talk about soul groups, don't we? You know, we talk about us incarnating from particular soul groups. Um, right. And when we, and when our physical form dies, um, we haven't disappeared. Our essential being hasn't disappeared. We, you know, retreat to our astral body and then we retreat to our uh, mental body and then we retreat to back to the soul body. But we haven't disappeared. Um, only our physical form has disappeared. And I imagine, as I said, I need to do some more work on it, but I, I suspect that the same kind of thing happens with the David Kingdom. Well, that's when when I was pondering it, you know, it was kind of like, okay, I understand that, that you know, if one is cut down, that, that you know, it, it's, its energies, its elementals or whatever are absorbed and then redistributed. And my, my thought at the moment um, would be that if one goes extinct, it is absorbed back into the over-lightening deva, to be recreated into a to and manifested into a new form or a new species that yes. is more appropriate for that particular time frame. Yes, yes, and um, it's, it's interesting because when I was researching the children of Gaia, which you mentioned at the beginning of this, our talk, 
Um, I researched that in nine different countries, and one of them was Costa Rica, and um, to do the tropical um, stuff. And Costa Rica is very interesting because uh, it has three different forest types. The Children of Gaia is about the forests of the world and uh, and what we've what we've done to them and uh, and and the relationship between the forest and the nature and, and the Deva kingdom. So, and in Costa Rica, you've got um, you've got dry forest and you've got uh, jungle and you've got cloud forest. And um, that that um, the cloud forest has been severely the, the cloud forest has been particularly um, destroyed by by um, you know by human activity. So yeah, so we can we can see all over the place how these how these um, systems have been um, have been diminished. But if we could just give them a rest for a while uh, and find different ways of doing things so that we didn't have to destroy them, I think we would find that they come back. Now, in Costa Rica, you'll find um, oak trees. Now, oak trees is not something you would normally associate with a country like Costa Rica. But they came down, they, they migrated, the oak trees migrated um, between ice ages. So, you know, they started off in the northern hemisphere because we normally associate them with cold, with cold places. And then between the ice ages, they moved down and got down as far as Costa Rica. So, um, yeah, so nature does, is, is very, very opportunistic. And uh, but what we have to do is is actually recognise its its need to replenish itself. And unfortunately, there's so many of us now um, that uh, you know it's very difficult to see how, unless we have more and more pandemics, God forbid, um, yeah. how this is going to happen. We we're going to have to make some really, really hard decisions about how how we all live uh, if nature's going to recover. But, it's, you know, it's a whole other subject. I have a brother who's an ecologist and a son who's an ecologist. So, um, you know, I, I get quite a bit of this from them. And um, my son, who's uh, in his mid-40s, um, is unfortunately very pessimistic. Um, he's and I think that that's a shame because I, he just realizes just how how significant the changes are in our thinking and how much we have to come to grips with this desire body of ours, this emotional body that makes us want things all the time, how much we have to overcome that to um, be willing to give nature a chance to recover. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, I I have great faith that um yes. that that's going to happen. I be, because to be honest with you, nature is far more powerful than humanity. Oh, yes. <laughs> I agree. So, I so I mean I I mean a couple of volcanoes and a couple of uh 
tsunamis and a couple of, I mean, nature could wipe us all out and then sit back and say, there, I'm going to give you a chance. Maybe you can come back. Maybe you can't. But you're not coming back until you have your primitive again, and then we'll try again. Yeah, no, I, um, you know, all these idiots with all their weapons, it's, um, I think people don't understand the power of nature. And I go back to when, when we were on that, that, that huge square rigor. There is nothing more awesome. Well, there probably is. But to my mind in my life, there has never been anything as awesome as being on a huge ship with squares open and feeling the wind begin to move you forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the power of of wind is just amazing and i mean this was a concrete hulled ship this was a huge ship yes and and it 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 took us in its hands and 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 it 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 moved us forward with its breeze now if if nature can do that um, yeah. I think nature is, is just kind of looking at us as though we are oh so young and oh so foolish and, and <laughs> you know, giving us a break and and laughing at us a lot too. But um yeah. it you know, I don't I don't know why people are worried about aliens or th- and things like that because there is a power here on this planet that can wipe us out in a heartbeat without even blinking. That's right. And that's nature. That's right. Yes, yes, and um, I live in a country with, uh, you know, it's very young geologically, and we have a lot of earthquakes, uh-huh. um, and we've definitely seen that um, over the last over the last few years, particularly in places like Christchurch. So um, yeah, and it's quite interesting because um, you know I was talking before about the sort of need to need to see things in a new light Um, one of the things that happened in Christchurch in the big Christchurch earthquakes of about 10 years ago um, was that uh, the cathedral was destroyed um, and and most of the churches because they were built of brick or stone and uh, they don't stand up they don't stand up to powerful earthquakes Um, and the there was there's been a big big um, schism in the church in the Anglican church down there because the uh, the bishop wanted to build a totally new cathedral um, but a very determined bunch of the parishioners wanted to rebuild the old one which was, is going to cost an awful lot of money and the designs for the new one were stunningly beautiful um, but the people that want to keep the old form have won out. And I think it's such a shame that, you know, that they're so attached to this old, the old building that they won't embrace something new that would give a different energy. Um, and, you know, I just wondered also with, uh, with this move from the Piscean Age into the Aquarian Age, you know, if the, if the destruction of Notre Dame was, Again, another sort of indication oh. that maybe we need new ways, new ways to um, celebrate those those religions, new ways to um, 
would tend to agree that I think it's time for changes on on all levels. I know the people that that, that I you know work with on a pretty regular basis are all going through. Um, I call them Phoenix Rising energy crisis. Um, you know, they're <laughs> going through they're going through a rebirth of themselves. Their their energies are changing. And they're they're decluttering themselves energetically and letting go of what doesn't work and making room for what will work and and I think that 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 is um, an energetic that that you know is hitting uh, countries and governments and 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 of course the whole planet. So uh, yeah. in, in in a lot of ways, I've said that, that that the planet is going through labor pains because there's a new rebirthing that's coming and life as we know it will change for everyone and this is a good thing it is but absolutely and, and, uh, and we have to do it well yeah but anybody women I guess mostly but anybody who has experienced labor pains know that it hurts it's a painful experience <laughs> but 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 um, speaking from experience here, but but that ultimately there is great joy and celebration. So um, bring it on, you know. Uh, it, it seems yeah. to me that that while change is is definitely confusing, upsetting, and and all sorts of things, it's also very powerful in that it gives you a greater opportunity to expand yourself into places where you hadn't gone before. Yes. So, so, so en- energetically speaking, I, I think I, I, am, I am so encouraged by, by everything that's happening because it, it, it means, at least to my understanding of what's going on, it means that there is change in the air, there is a newness in the air, and, and is it going to be you know, one of these beautiful magical times, probably not, but but ultimately it is going to be more magical. Um, the the one thing I did want to talk about a little bit too, because I don't want time to get away from me. I, I mean, your book had enough in it to talk for hours and hours and hours and hours. But we don't have that many. <laughs> that's why. It took, um, that's why it took so long to write. <laughs> how long did it take um, you? Well, I started way back. Um, so in the in the first decade of the century, I spent a lot of time in Scotland, and um, and I used to stay on a, a friend's farm um, or a husband's farm, and he was quite aware of the ley lines and things on the land, and um, but he he couldn't communicate with the neighbour of the landscape. He, he was much more earthy bound. Um, anyway, we had a lot of discussion about topics of Deva and so on and so forth. And he kept telling me that I should write a, a, a book on Deva because, you know, we did a lot of that kind of work together, communicating with nature and so on. Uh-huh. And um, um, is, so finally, is this in, the, in 2000... Is this the gentleman? So in 2000... Sorry? Now, is this the sorry. gentleman that asked you to check out one of his fields? Yes, that's right. That's right. Oh, tell that story um, too. Yeah. Well. um, Okay. So, I 
Um, I was staying, this was early 2000s. So I, I, I visited for sort of short-term visits because Rick was working in Egypt. So um, I would visit him and then spend time in Scotland and then go back to Egypt, etc. And so what happened? We'll call him Joe. He didn't want his real name used. Anyway, Joe um, asked me if I, if he had a Deva in his field. He he, he grew grains for um, yeah for um, you know for the market. So I went up to the field and uh, yes, there was a Deva there, but it was very it was kind of it was almost you describe it as depressed and it and it wasn't swirling around or moving. David tend particular yeah, they, they move, they move because they're circulating energy, right? The ones the ones of the, of the level of nature spirits, they tend to circ, they're circulating energy. Um, the ones inside plants they just they're just dealing with the activity inside plants because you know, if you got down and had a look at the cells of what's it was under the microscope, what's going in, inside the going on inside the cells of plants, you would see that there's a lot of activity going on there. So there's there's deva activity everywhere. But anyhow, so these overlight more overlighting deva of, of the crops, um, they they're moving, they're moving all the time. Anyway, this one wasn't particularly; it was almost kind of sunk down into the ground. Now the crops were growing okay. I mean, they had fertilizer and all that, but the deva itself wasn't it wasn't really doing very much. So I told I had I had a talk with it and um, you know gave it lots of love and attention and um, and suggested to it um, that it tell me what it needed and it said that it wanted less fertilizer. So <laughs> I told Joe that it that it wanted less not it didn't say that it wanted none, but it said less. Um, so he said, well, that's difficult because under the uh, European Union rules, he actually had to give the land the amount of fertiliser and the type of fertiliser under the rules. Okay, <laughs> this is a ridiculous thing we've got. So... Um, Anyway, I'd given my message and off I went. And the next time I was back there, the next uh, next year or the harvest or whatever it was, um, Linda, my friend, and I were particularly busy. And um, Joe kept saying to me, you know, go and check out the day of it. Um, I didn't get round to it until my last day. I was only there for a week or so that time. So eventually I did. And it was whirling around the field beautifully um, and it had been joined um, by another diver from another paddock um, although I might be mixing up the times there that might have been later that it was joined by another one but anyway it was certainly swirling around around in circles on, over the field of barley and so when I went back and I told Joe I said well it's looking really healthy and it's very happy and it's swirling around all over the place and he said he was very proud of himself. He said that his yields were up and he'd used less, less fertilizer. So he was getting, 
and it, because the yield of the crop was up, he was getting more money for the crop, but he'd actually had to spend less. And I don't know how he fudged the figures to, <laughs> so he didn't get into trouble um, over not, you know, using so much fertilizer. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what happened there. So the Deva actually said what it needed, um, what the crops needed, which was contrary to what the science said, um, and that the the sense I took out of it was that the the energy that the Deva uh, was distributing on the field. And I th- this is what would have happened in Fintorn because they didn't use fertilizers in the, in the synthetic sense. They just used good old compost, but they also used um, a great deal of communication with the Day of the Kingdom and got their instructions there through Dorothy McLean. She would ask, you know, what, this, what does this crop require? What does this patch of trees require, etc., and followed through, they followed through on that. So that's why their vegetables were so wonderful. And um, anyway, so, yeah, whether Joe actually sort of carried that through to other... Um, I, I, he, he, wasn't, he was kind of captured by the system, but it certainly proved to him that the uh, Deva could do a better job than the... Than the and the agri business oh. and the and the rules. Wow! So, so wouldn't it be nice if, if we were able to um, to do that with our agriculture all over the place? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, speaking of that, um, the wind has has Davis, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're cool. they're recent. Yeah. What are they called? Well, the ones the the ones in the air are usually called silts. S L Y T H S silts. It's a hard word to okay. say. So lately, within the last day, just in the news, there was an amazing dust storm that came over Egypt, and it has swept. To California on its way across the United States, dropping the the dust and sand that it gathered, and it it it, it appears it's a very unusual dust storm for it to cross an ocean, and and wow. you know to be de- yeah, I was sad when I heard it. I thought, oh my gosh, you know what what was that self thinking? Um, well, it'll be a much higher, much higher. Than, the sylphs are like nature spirits, but there's you know much higher data than that um, to do with the weather in Egypt. That's called the Hamasin. It's the wind, and you know it's a seasonal wind, and it's um, it turns the air sort of a reddish brown colour. Um, yeah. And yeah, oh, that's that's quite interesting, isn't it? Um, it's quite fascinating. Yeah, I it'll just... be interesting to. I actually just I just heard it a couple of hours ago that this this wind had you know was was it was they called it a, a reddish brown sand cloud yeah. and and that it was it was it had crossed the ocean and that it was 
um, going to be working its way across the country. And it's fascinating to think that, that, you know, sand from Egypt was going to be dropping on this country. Yes, I just that, that's it. fascinating. I, I, There's lots, lots of ways we could interpret that. But um, I haven't finished answering your question. So, so Joe kept pushing me to write this book. So I started in um, 2006 and um, 2007. I wrote, I wrote a lot, but it was coming out quite academic and um, quite involved because it's such a vast subject. And um, and I I thought, gosh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not saying this the right way. I'm not striking the right note here. So I I put it aside. And um, but over the next ten years, I kind of I thought about it um, quite frequently and and tuned into you know have I figured out how to do this yet? And finally, in 2000, by the beginning of 2017, I thought, okay, I've got this. I, I think I know how to do this now. So 2017, 2018, I worked on it almost, you know, that was uh, the intense time. I totally rewrote it. And um, so by the end of 2018, I knew I had a manuscript that would work. So, yeah, so that so it, it's been a very long process, as most of my books are. Well, it, it, it yeah. certainly was a very worthwhile effort. Now, so what, was there a a, a deva um, that helped you do this? In other words, was there was there a devic energy that was helping you to manifest this book? Yes, I think so. Um, you know, every everything that that's got a very strong energy of its own has some kind of David contribution there. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. it is, isn't it? So, it, I mean, it's a combination of, of, of my will, if you like, and the David response to my will. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, books, I, I certainly find it with art that they take on, that they they have a, a, a life and identity of their own. And um, oh, books, yeah. and the, the, strong, the stronger the, the energy that goes into it, the more easily identified that sort of... Um, yeah, it's not not every not every energy that goes into books is positive, of course, but um, oh, yeah, but yeah, it's it is there is a, there is a, I always I always think of it as that the book has a deva, yeah. Well, I yeah. that's where I was going was that um, first of all, I I preach at every opportunity the ne- the the necessity of having creativity in your life and creativity to me is the channel through which inspiration and intuition work and or manifest so that so that the more creative you are um the greater more intense the energy that that you know takes part in what you're doing 
I've had times when I was writing something that just wasn't coming out right. And if you've ever seen the the magic eight ball, um, you know that thing you ask a question, turn it over, and and, and a statement comes out on the bottom. Sometimes no, I've not when seen I'm that. oh, it, it's it's uh, it's a cute little game like thing. You ask a question, and it, it it'll either give you a yes or a no or not yet or right. something like that. And and so that there have been times when I've been writing that it didn't feel like I had the right energy and it felt almost like I had, you know, was doing something and, and um, it, it, it like it, it was, I was at a place where if I had had a magic eight ball, it would have said, not time yet, try again later. And, and so <laughs> I think when, when one is dealing with creative energy and, and intuition and inspiration, sometimes you try to make something happen before it's time and it just doesn't have the right flow. So, And I call it yeah. being in the zone or, or plugged into the energetic field or lots of different ways of explaining it. It's just that when you're in a certain place within your body and, and you've put your ego aside and you are allowing that flow of energy to come through you, so long as you're not controlling it, it flows beautifully, but when you start yes. to manipulate it, it stops. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right, and um, I think that that's one of the uh, challenges of being a, a creative person, whether it's art or writing or or whatever it is, that you have uh-huh. to you have to be tuned into the you have to recognize are you really tuned in or not? Um, because as you say, you know, what comes out doesn't resonate. And that was what was happening to me early on. But I think also, you know, when we are prepared to recognize that we uh, are not in the zone, um, sometimes we have to wait for other experiences that contribute to being in the right zone. Yeah. You know? Absolutely, and you know it's um, it's honoring that energy and and that and and you've given it a name for me. I I always, I just have always called it energy, but but now it, it is a deva of creativity, if you will, and it could be out to lunch when you're trying to do something, and if you wait till it comes back from lunch, it will it will merge with you, and. And yes. then something something amazing happens. It's sort of did you um, did you ever see um, the movie Avatar? Yes, yes, it's one of my favorites. And they they mine, uh, they made that, that they made that here, and they're making this because James Cameron actually lives here in New Zealand now, and um, uh-huh. they've just uh, they've just started it up again um, for the second one. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's being made here. So uh, we we have a very strong film industry here. Uh, so James James Cameron moved here with his family oh, a few some years ago. Um, yeah, because we have Weta Workshop here. That's the uh, Peter Jackson's um, uh, you know part of his production thing. And you know he did the Lord of the Rings. So yeah, oh, so James yeah, well, Cameron. Well, in, 
in that movie that that there was always a connection between the rider and the horse or the rider and the bird. And it, it that's the way I envision working with Davis where you allow a connection to happen and then energy flows from it. It's it's a magical experience yeah. once you've, I oh, mean, yeah. to, anyone, to anyone that has ever experienced it, um, there's nothing, you have to call it magic because it is, because things flow from you that you didn't know were inside. And, and it, it is spectacular. But before we, we, we lose time here, and, and it's going way too fast, I want to talk a little bit about elementals because everybody talks about elementals, but I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure they know exactly what they're talking about, to be honest with you. Yeah, well... <laughs> It's the whole thing about words and definitions and, and you know, I, I think that we'll remain confused until we can get, until we can have telepathy <laughs> because, <laughs> because we're, we're, all, we're all trying to relay experiences, aren't we, and clumsily sort of come to some kind of agreement, but we still don't know whether we're seeing or experiencing what other people are. And... Um, and one of the things that I think is important for people who, you know, I, the thing that you get asked so often on the on the subject is, you know, how can I see them? And um, Dorothy Plain, the lady from Sindhorn that I mentioned earlier, um, and I've put this in the book, she was quite adamant that she'd never actually seen an elemental. Um and that it wasn't necessarily uh, a good thing to see an elemental because we, um, you know, we're on a path of evolution and the elementals, um, the elementals, if you like, below the level of the nature spirits are still on the path of involution. They're still descending into matter and we're ascending out of matter right we've done that in the looting and we are supposed to be working our way up back to spirit so if we try to engage with uh, elementals below the level of the nature spirits um, then we are actually bringing bringing ourselves, pushing ourselves backwards. And that is not a good thing to do because what we've left behind becomes black magic, right? Oh, okay. Because, yeah, there's a sense in which it does become black magic because we've moved on and we should not be dabbling down there anymore because it will just take us on a downward trend again. Right back into density instead of up towards spirit. So, um, so now getting back to so people want to see them. Now that's okay, but what you've got to realise is that it's in seeing nature spirits is actually an astral activity. It's an etheric and an astral activity. So it's not it's not coming from very high up it's a 
where they seem to manifest for for us. Um, and that's okay. I I have only seen them. I've only seen that level when I was working on the children of Gaia. And um, and and when I finished when I finished that book, I don't think I've actually seen any since. But I sense I sense them, but I don't see them. Okay. So it was mm-hmm. it was as if the gift the gift was you can see them while you're working on this book. Okay, because you need to get a sense of them so that you can convey them to the readers and, you know, represent them some way in art. And that was a problem for me because, um, you know, I knew that they were just energy. But if I tried to just represent energy in a, in a storybook about them, people were not going to relate to them because we re- relate to what looks something that we can identify with, okay? And that's why that's why people always describe them as kind of like, cute little human beings but they're not actually like that they're just, they're just energy they're light, they're energy now they might and it's our brain that wants to see them as something human looking so um, once I finished that book I, I didn't see them in anymore but I do sense them and it's the sensing that's more important and people people you know, want to know how do I, how do I see them? How do I communicate with them? Well, it's all about waking your body up for a start, because it's a bit like qigong. You know, the Chinese practice of qigong. Qigong. The aim of it is to, to be um, aware, totally aware of the energy around you and the energy available to you. And dealing with or sensing nature spirits and David generally is a bit like that, a lot like that. So when you go for a walk, for example, um, it's like opening up the pores of your skin. You know, you open yourself up as you will know, Barbara, from your work in your garden. You know, you open yourself up to the energy that's around you. You know, you... If, if need be, you know, talk to yourself about being connected to everything that's around you because we are, it's just that we don't realize we are, right? So when you go for a walk, try and feel, you know, what what's the land feel like underneath you? What does the air feel like? You know, what do those trees feel like? Just there's, there's a number of, of ways in which people can kind of open up to sensing them. So, and I've I've found that when I've done workshops on Deva, there was a lovely incident which I've recorded in the book, where um, we were coming. I'd sent people out to 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 talk to trees and river and so on and so forth. And then when we got back together again, and we're sitting on the bank, and um, when everybody had shared their experiences and we just finished the discussion, uh, there was no, it was a still day. There was no wind, no rain, no wind, no nothing. But when we finished our discussion, there was a wind came and whirled around the a little valley that we were sitting in. 
And everybody giggled and laughed um, because I had said to them earlier what I found happens for me and particularly if I'm out with uh, like-minded friends and we've been talking with the Davis or, you know, turning into the landscape. When we've finished, there's usually a sign and for me in Australia in particular, it was wind and the wind, you know, this whirly wind would come around. And so when we were all sitting there and we'd finished our discussion and this wind came out of nowhere, again, it was like an acknowledgement. Okay, we're here, we've heard your discussion and, you know, this is to show that we're here. <laughs> so sometimes people get, get those things, right? Um, but generally it's about we have to build when we're doesn't matter what our spiritual journey is, but whatever it is. Um, whatever it is, we have to to build our what I call our subtle structures of reception very slowly. Otherwise we can we can do we can do damage to um, to those subtle structures of reception. So you have to take those steps very slowly and and not not stress your brain, not put too much pressure on yourself, but little by little. It might take months, it might take years, it doesn't matter. And um, the experience of other people, unless you're born uh, with, like Dora Van Gilder into a family that, or my friend Karen, into a family who acknowledges the nature spirits so that so you're growing up in an atmosphere where you haven't lost contact with that sense of spirit that most babies are, are born with but they lose it because of socialization etc <laughs> uh-huh. they um, so if you if you're not born into that situation where you're you're growing up with that Dora van Gelder for instance, she was 16 when she discovered that people, other people didn't see fairies and elves and nature spirits generally, and she was astonished. She thought that was part of life. <laughs> because what? she'd grown up with it. But yeah, we, what, what but I, us, what, sorry? No, what, what I have Go found is um, it's, it's fascinating in that it isn't so much a seeing of them, it's a knowing they're there and being positive it, that they're there. And you can't explain it. It's just I know they're there. Absolutely. And, That's a very good, accurate description. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, and not it's hard a, to explain. Sorry. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, well, um, it's a very accurate description. Not only do you know that they're there, you often know what they look like, and what they, you know, you know what they feel like, and you know, and and you have a sense. Uh, it depends how you work, really. I mean, I'm a very visual person. That's why I'm an artist, uh-huh. and I think you're quite visual as well. But um, you know, people should not get hung up on needing to see it. That not not needing to see these things, 
feeling it is more important than seeing it. Oh, absolutely. And, and you, you did have um, something that fascinated me. Uh, you were with a group at one period in time, I, I, no, or maybe you were with just your friend, and you came across um, a row of stumps of trees that had been oh, cut yeah. down. Yes, that yeah. that was that was amazing. If, if you would share that with us, that was that was an amazing story. Well, yeah. Um, so I was out walking with um, an artist friend and my friend Linda, who shared so many of these adventures with me, and. Um, we're just walking back to where we, back to the house, to my friend's house, and we came upon a row of stumps, and they were quite large stumps of what had been macrocarpa trees. Its uh, other name is Monterey pine. They were imported into New Zealand in the 19th century, so they were quite large, and they'd obviously been there for a long time, and they were because they were Silver, you know how wood can go silver when it's exposed to the sun, um, when it's yeah. been cut um, for a long time, just the way cedar does. And um, and I was just before I knew it, I was I left the other two, and I was halfway along this row. I was just drawn because there was this incredible energy that was pulling me, and and I got about halfway along, and I I realised that you know where I was. And I turned back to my friends and um, Carol just waved at me and said, just go on, do your thing. <laughs> and this, this, I was aware that there was this great distress in, in these stumps or in the ground underneath them and the roots. And um, so I thought, okay, what, what's going on here? So, And I realized that the... the um, the elemental or the nature spirit of, of these trees, the major nature nature spirit of these trees, each one of them had got stuck in these stumps. And obviously there's been terrific trauma when they've been cut down. They probably hadn't had any warning and somebody come along with a chainsaw or several people with chainsaws and just chopped these trees down all at once. And um, they hadn't... They hadn't left. So I called in the deva of that species, the Macrocarpa species. And uh, it it kind of sent down this column, like a tree trunk shape, this column. And, and then I called upon, I called these nature spirits. In my mind, I wasn't vocalizing, but in my mind I called upon these nature spirits to leave their stumps and to rejoin their, their if yeah. you like, um, oh, what do you call it? Um, you know, the overlighting day, but to, to leave their root yeah. where they were in the root and to return to their originating deva. And they did. And it was like I could see in my mind that, that they were sort of, it's hard to tell, you know, what, whether you're seeing it in front of your eyes or whether you're seeing it in your head. Um, but they were sort of like rays, you know, from from some kind of movie, sort of smoky uh, white forms. And they came up out of the 
earth. They didn't come out through the stump. They came up out of the roots and then up into this tree-like trunk thing that the deva had sent down and they were reabsorbed and then it just disappeared and that was it. And that whole horrible energy um, had gone and they were happily reabsorbed. And that was um, a huge a huge learning for me, and it was totally, totally, totally unexpected. Well, I think what's fascinating, actually, is that, first of all, when when you're talking deva, when you're talking whether it's elemental or, or, or any of the hierarchy, you're talking an eternal spirit or energy. Yes. Or force. Yes. You're not talking. You, yes. you, you can't kill them. You can disturb them. I if if let, let me let me ask you this: if those if they had remained stuck in the stumps, stumped by the stumps, um, <laughs> eventually the tree would have gone back to source, and then yes. then would they have been released? Or, or I guess a, because I I had a huge huge oak tree that was on our property in a house that um, I lived in as a child and it 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 probably was well over a hundred or two years old and it did mm-hmm. eventually pass away and you know we it it, it was cut down and. Um, earth spread over it, and um, I planted something smaller in its place. And after about 15 or 20 years, the, the, the plant I had placed on it died. And nobody could tell me why, but it died. And, and I had a horticulturist come and say it was, it was a beautiful little maple. Um, and he said to me... Um, it's uh, drying up. It doesn't have enough water. And, and I said, I'm flooding that thing. It can't be that. And it did eventually die. And when I had um, the, the man who mowed the lawn, I had him dig it up. And as he was digging it up, he suddenly disappeared. And <laughs> I looked. I mean, I mean the, he was a little man, but, well, not that little, but he just he sank into the earth and there was this huge cavern underneath where the oak had been and you could see where the branches tunneled out it was it it had finally all rotted away so that there were these yeah. amazing um uh, maze of of stuff underneath it it took my gosh we filled we had to fill it with rocks and stuff like that and then put dirt on top of it but it was so so if if those stumps had had disintegrated back to source, would then the elements have, have been set free? Yes, I believe so. I believe so because you see in your example it was a natural death, right? Mm-hmm. And um they would have just they would have just gone back. Um but in this in the case of the macrocarpa trees it wasn't. Now, um, so the lesson here is that, you know, if we're cutting down a tree or a 
bush or trimming a bush or removing a plant like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you give it warning, it will go back to its um, to its overlighting gaver. And um, yeah, it's just a small thing that you can do, and there's other examples in the book of that. Um, and then, you know, then you're you're being you're being kind, and you're 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 stopping that distress. And the most indigenous peoples had this thing where, you know, if they were going to cut down a tree, they would tell the tree, and they'd do a small ceremony or ask permission to take the tree. Um, that you know that was quite normal. Um, certainly, the Maori people of New Zealand used to do that, uh, and it's interesting that they are, are very strongly represented amongst the forestry workers who are cutting down trees. So, whether they still do that or not, I don't know. But I think you'd find that it's it was normal amongst the American Indian tribes to actually. Uh, ask permission before trees were cut down, and for that very reason, because they were aware of of these entities and the spirit within the tree. What what a sad loss for all of us that that concept has been removed from the general population. Yes, yes, we've become t- extremely brutal. Yeah, when you stop and think that all they do actually is share love, and that, that <laughs> oh, it, yeah. you know, and and in return, we treat them as if they were non non corporal corporal. They they I mean were made up yeah. of the same types of energy, so yeah. to not respect. Them doesn't make sense. No, and I and, think this is one of the main points I wanted to make in the book was the fact that because Deva is also known as the uh, the Deva is other has other name. It's it's the builder of the builders of form. So you know we are using Deva all the time. We're interconnected all the time. We just don't know it and we don't see it and um, I think this is you know something very important that we if we understood that um, idea of pan consciousness which is that everything is is one thing and, and that everything that we do affects everything else and, and, and the thing, things that happen around us affect us uh, we'd be a lot more careful about what we did and a lot more circumspect about how we behaved and and what we did, yeah. So, but it requires so a, a lot way, of attention. It, so, so in a way, you were the deva that created the book. Ah, uh, that's an interesting point. Yes. Because ultimately I mean, it, it, we've come, yeah, you were, ultimately you were, all come from one source, haven't we? No, that's what yeah. I believe anyway. So, so, yeah. so, so, I've I've always believed that 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 the creation, that which is a creation, of a greater creator, 
its mission is to become a creator and pass it on. Yes. 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 And 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 we're, what we're doing is is helping that one to explore its possibilities. Yeah. And so it, um, it, you know, yeah. Yeah. No. It's it, it's if we look upon ourselves as being a part of the process and not just an, an observer it adds greater responsibility to everything we say and do. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think um, we're run out, running out of time to discuss it, but uh, one part of the book that I've, I've particularly um, learned from was the Davis of Commerce, um, because it never occurred to me that there were Davis of Commerce, and it totally um, blew me away that, Oh, hang on a minute. Um, all our all our financial transactions and what we call commerce, they that had Deva at Deva as well, and we are actually misusing it because, as they said to me, it's um, it's got to be um, it's got to be fair, and if we're not using the Deva of commerce fairly. Um, we are, we're misusing them and, and we will come to grief that way. That's an so, interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, and I think, I think basically it's important for everybody to realize that there is nothing that does not have a deva connected to it. Yes, yes, yes. That's right, that's right. And And so... The ultimate lesson I think that we, uh, you know, should be getting from this kind of material is that we are responsible for how we use matter at all levels of density. Oh, that's a, that's a, a big, big definition to get your head around, but, um, <laughs> and I think it's well, lots of, people will need to read more than once, probably. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I, I, I really, you know, it's, it's, you, you kind of get into consciousness and you get into the, the different energies and the different focus and the different. I loved your charts, by the way. They were great. Um, Thank but, you. but you know, in putting yourself into this, this picture here, and and you can't help but do it. Um, you, you understand that you, we are such a small part of such a great organization, it's unbelievable. And, and we're yes. a very small part of it, yet we are a necessary part of it because, you know, yes. without us, the puzzle is not complete. So, That's right. Um, so when people, you know, <laughs> say, you know, I, I can't do anything and I can't do this, it, it's like, you know, every... Every person has a voice. Every person has the ability to send or not send love. And that love, um, it's like a magnet. We are drawn by the cosmic love that created us. And the more we utilize that energy and share that energy, the greater our reality becomes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And um, it's very easy to, to fall into... Um, depression and hopelessness and um, poor meanness and um, 
yeah, all those things. But um, it's something that the masters that have gone before us keep telling us, you know, have said, um, you must always stay positive and, you know, working towards the, the greater good. Um, and we're in a, you know, we're trying to, trying to work our way out of this sort of selfish, self-centered, um, you know, human preoccupations that we have. Yeah, and the, the, the other thing that you do speak to in the book, I mean, you and I are very fortunate in that we, we are saturated by nature. But, but there are those people yeah. that, that are not that fortunate, and yet you, you, can, find, you can find devas in, in concrete jungles, and you can find yeah. all sorts of ways to to communicate with you know everything that is energetic, everything that is material has David's with them. And you know, if you live in a concrete jungle, there are often botanical gardens that you can visit and stuff like that. Yeah. There, there are places yeah. where you can go to expose yourself to these kinds of energies, and and yeah. it, it's so highly recommended. It it makes you healthier. It makes you more vibrantly alive, and and and, and you don't have to. And, and I think the one thing that that's really important is it's not prayer. It's no. sharing love, and, and yes. there's a big yes. difference. Yep, and love is about connection. Yes. Yep. So, um, but, but yeah. But a lot of a lot of cities, they have great parks, and there's, um, you know, I love the, um, I love Central Park in New York. It's a beautiful place, and it's surrounded by oh, a concrete yeah. jungle. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, there are opportunities in in most places um, for us to get um, to get our our fix. But I, I would also say just quickly too that. I do find that uh, spending a lot of time on a computer, which unfortunately is part of my job these days, um, uh-huh. spending a lot of time on a computer does tend to um, challenge me in terms of uh, my sensitivity. And I think without Qigong and without walks, um, lots of walks in nature, I would find it very difficult to um, retain that sensitivity that we need. Well, and and also, though, you know, buy a potted plant because yes. that plant's going to have a deva. And mm-hmm. um, so, so it's it's really it's it's quite profound. The more you work with this kind of philosophy and energy, um, the healthier you become, and the healthier everything around you becomes as well. I I do want to let people know also that that. You know, first of all, your book is called Deva. Very easy, and um, it's called you know our That's Deva, D-E-V-A. our relationship. D-E-V-A. Right. And, and we better tell. Relationship. We better tell them. That, uh, sorry, Barbara. We better tell them that that D E V A, um, not D I V A. D E V A. Ah. Okay. Yeah. And and it can it can be found. Um, it can be found everywhere. Um, 
it, and also you can be reached and your material can be looked at at www.tallpixie.com and and That's your right. artwork is there and the artwork is to die for everybody it's it's so inspired it's so magical it's just it's really the coolest stuff you'll ever see so do take a look at her website <laughs> because it it is just magnificent i really it stopped me dead in my tracks, and all I could think oh, of was, "Oh." <laughs> well, my husband's cool pushing. My husband is pushing me to put out a book of my art, just of my art. So, um, yeah, along with a whole lot of other books that I've got on the go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a great idea. I, I want to thank you so very much. We are we are just right at the edge here of out of time. So I want to thank you so much for being with me and and for sharing your material and your energy and your magic with us because um, your your book and you are are truly amazing and uh, I'm so I'm so honored that you you decided to come on the show. Oh, the honor's mine, Barbara, and um, I'm in awe of the terrific service that you've been doing all these years with your podcast and your other work so yeah it's a my the feeling is mutual and i want to thank you very much for this opportunity it's just terrific thank you well well you're so welcome and we will certainly be <clears throat> talking to you soon again i hope and um everybody please check out her book um i found it on amazon it, it's it's a glorious book it truly is um do um also keep Looking on on YouTube and on Blog Talk, we have two more shows this week, one tomorrow and one on um, one. This is this is Thursday, and we have another show on Friday and then another show on Saturday. So check us out, and if you can't make those shows, do check us out on YouTube, and we would welcome your subscription on on YouTube because the numbers tell us that there are people out there listening. So good night. Everybody, have a great night. Stay well, stay happy, and talk to your plants. They need the company. Good night now.